We have been studying through the book of Acts together now for several weeks. Last week, we ended off at the end of chapter 2, and uh, we're in this brand new movement of the church. I mean, new believers uh, coming to faith in Jesus and getting started. And this is when God sparks a movement. Like that's what this whole series is all about. about. The, the book of Acts is a, is a dynamic history of the beginning of the church and the story of how it spreads around the world. And uh, our goal is to cover the whole book of Acts and to do it in only eight weeks. Now, Acts is a pretty big book, 26 chapters. And so to do it in eight weeks and make it memorable, our goal is to have eight keywords that are going to help us to, you know, remember the outline of what we talked through. So we've done two already. This is week three. The first week, see if you remember at home, okay? So we're talking to the screen. If you remember, what was week one? It was wait. Okay, our keyword was wait. And we basically saw that Jesus was ascending back to heaven after the resurrection. And he tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so that was week one. Week two, last week, uh, we were in Acts chapter two, and our word was, do you remember it? Helper. Helper was the word. And we talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit and that miraculous event and how the Holy Spirit of God, he is our helper to make the impossible possible. Wait, helper. Got that? All right, I'm gonna go ahead and let week three's word out of the bag. This week's word is boldness. Boldness, you know, boldness is uh, something that maybe you've had to do have, you know, from time to time. Boldness is something that it implies there's some risk going on, and you got to step up and be courageous and do something crazy. Uh, we've all needed boldness in our life. Uh, one shaping moment in my life that I can remember, and I've told this story before, but man, it's just it's just such a pivotal moment for me as a young boy figuring out life. I was in second grade, and there was a little girl in my second grade class that I had a crush on, okay? And so like any uh, bold man, I'm gonna show my love to her on the most romantic of days, Valentine's Day. That's right. And so I go back to my bedroom and I pull out my coloring books. And this is, all, fellas, take notes, okay? This is what you do. I got my He-Man Masters of the Universe coloring book and I colored her the best picture I knew how carefully tore it along, you know, the spine there. Got it ready. Also went in my closet and got out one of my favorite teddy bears. Not like the main teddy bear, you know, but like, you know, you have extra teddy bears, you know, like we all have. So anyway, go to school and the moment comes and I hand her the gifts. I got the coloring sheet. I got the teddy bear and she just freaks out. I mean, she, she tears the page in half and she throws the teddy bear at my feet and she I'll never forget what she says she says I don't like you leave me alone (laughs) yeah it didn't work out it didn't work out at all I don't know what I expected uh but not that not that at all I remember when I got home that day my grandma asked me because she loved to pick on me and she said um she said hey Chris how did it go today with your girlfriend and like you know a super emotional man I said it was fine so I don't know. You just stuff it down. And put the, I don't know. Uh, that's not what I expect. Here's the thing. I, I learned that day that boldness is, is difficult. It comes with risk. And um, it doesn't always work out like that, but sometimes it does. Even though I put myself out there, uh, you, maybe you've had to face some bold moments in your life. You've had to go talk to your boss about a raise or talk to a friend about something difficult or it was a relationship thing or it was a financial thing. And you had to take a big risky move boldness. It's a valuable trait and it's essential. Listen, boldness is essential when it comes to living a God-honoring life in a world that does not honor God. There's risk involved. It takes boldness. 
So we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 today, actually 3 and 4. So grab your Bible and flip over there or scroll down on your device. And uh, it's, it's been a pretty good run for the church so far. I mean, if you read through the first couple chapters, last week we left off 3,000 people had just gotten baptized. That's an awesome day at church. And so things are going really well. But as you hit chapter 3, the church is going to hit its first difficulty, its first bit of friction. And so we're going to jump right in. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, and at three in the, it was three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. That was the name of the gate, Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So... The man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Let's just go through that real quick. You know, a lot of people don't realize or maybe remember that the early Christians, especially the disciples, the majority of the early Christians were actually still practicing Jews. Uh, The difference was that they also accepted Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, the anointed Savior from God. And so John and Peter, as good Jewish people, were going to the temple like they would normally do for a time of prayer and worship. And, and as they are on their way to the temple, they meet this guy who's been lame or crippled from birth. And it gets on my nerves, or not, not that it gets on my nerves, it bothers me when, when we don't know the names of these people. Like, I like to know people's names, and so I like to give them names. So, I don't know, we don't have, calling him the lame guy just doesn't seem right. So, let's call this guy Gary. Well, Gary, the guy by the temple gate called Beautiful. Okay, so Peter and John walk along, they find Gary, and The thing about Gary is he wasn't allowed to go into the temple. It was against the rules. There was a superstition, uh, even a prejudice that said that uh, if you were, you know, disabled, that you were, the reason you were disabled was because your parents had sinned and God is punishing you and punishing them through you. Now, the Bible doesn't teach this. It's not a true thing, but this was part of the culture and it was well accepted. And so sadly, Gary wasn't allowed to go into the temple. And so he made his life as a beggar outside the temple. So he's standing there, sitting there, and he calls out to Peter and John, asking for some money. Peter decides he's gonna have a little conversation with Gary. Gary's about to get way more than he bargained for. Uh, Peter has just seen some amazing things. Okay, he's just seen Jesus raised from the dead, ascend into heaven. He's pretty empowered right now. He just recently saw the Holy Spirit show up to a huge crowd of people, tongues of fire, and they're speaking in languages that they don't know. The stuff we talked about last week, incredible. If you haven't read Acts chapter 2, go back and read it. That's all happened. So Peter is sitting on top of cloud nine here, and he's on a mission to make the name of Jesus famous. So when old Gary speaks to him, he's like, I got an idea. So this is what happens in verse six. Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Gary's looking for some pocket change. He gets way more than he asks for. And Peter performs a miracle. It says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and his ankles become strong. He jumps to his feet and he began to walk. And he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. 
And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to be begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow. It's such an awesome story. Now, I have helped uh, panhandlers before. I have mixed feelings about it. I'm not going to go into that right now. Maybe you know where I'm coming from. Here's the thing I believe that I believe that it is right to do the right thing. And the right thing to do is to do everything you can to help people when you can, right? So, so I've done ways that I, but I have never, ever come close to offering someone in need what Peter and John just hooked Gary up with. The ability to walk. A guy who spent his whole life essentially paralyzed. You'd be jumping and leaping and praising God too. This was a miracle. Now, now the people around that day, of course, they saw the whole thing. People walking in the street, people there in the temple, and they recognized Gary. They're like, isn't that that guy? What guy? That guy. That, yeah, that's the guy from the, wait, I thought, I thought he couldn't walk. Well, he's walking now, right? That's a big part of the story. What the crowd saw, their witness, they're astonished. They begin to gather around Peter and John, and Peter and John, in the classic style of Jesus, See, you know, Jesus performed a lot of miracles, and he, I believe he really loved and cared for the people that he helped, that he healed, that he took care of, but Jesus never performed a miracle when he didn't also have an opportunity to show the power of God to a group of people. Like, the reason Jesus did miracles was to show the power of God. You follow what I'm saying? And then in that process, he would teach people about what God had to say. So Peter, just like his teacher Jesus, was like, all right, this miracle occurred so that I can have an opportunity to teach about the power of God. Verse 12, here we go. When Peter saw this, the crowd, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? No, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Then he's going to kind of poke the crowd a little bit. He says, you, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him to Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and, was, and, and known was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. As you can all see, Gary becomes a, a testimony of the power of God. And just like that, he has an opportunity to lead them to salvation. And so like he did last week in chapter two, in, in verse 19, he says, so repent then and turn to God so that our sins may be wiped out and that time, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Whew. Forgiveness of sins and times of refreshing. How does that sound? We live in a world full of uh, not so refreshing stuff. And to think that God could come into our life and just give us a break from that. At this moment, it was an awesome show of the power of God. So, so here we've crossed into chapter four. Okay, chapter four, verse one. Though everyone was having a good time, 
celebrating Gary's healing and all the things that are going on that are good. Not everybody's happy. We're going to meet the opposition. First one. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew about to about 5,000. 5,000. Just a couple days ago, it was 3,000. Now the body of believers has grown to about 5,000. That's awesome. But it made the Sadducees angry. Like, who are the Sadducees? Okay, so if you read through the New Testament some, you see the name Sadducees sometimes. Do you know who they are? Let's just talk about them for a second. These guys, they, they pop up several times in the Jesus story. And when you see the Sadducees, I want you to understand that they're normally causing trouble. The Sadducees uh, were a political and religious group that basically controlled the temple and the priesthood at the time of Jesus. Uh, they were very powerful, but they were also very corrupt. They were in the pocket of the Roman government. And I, one of my uh, teachers that I listened to on a podcast, he describes the Sadducees as like a mafia family, okay? So they're constantly causing trouble and, and violence. And they're really the ones who were responsible for putting Jesus on the cross, okay? So that's who the Sadducees were. They weren't the good guys, at least in my reckoning of who they are. Um, they also, they, they had a very specific belief that really was, caused a lot of friction with, with the apostles, with the disciples, and this is what it was. They didn't believe in what they called the resurrection of the dead. Now, resurrection of the dead uh, for them was like any belief in any kind of like afterlife. So, you know, they're not talking about heaven and hell. But also, they really don't want to talk about this guy, Jesus, who is causing trouble amongst their people in their mind because they're losing some authority because they're corrupt. And one of his biggest stories was like, yeah, I, he rose from the dead by the power of God. And he offers resurrection from the dead for anyone who believes in him. They weren't down with Jesus. And so, like... The Sadducees, not only were they not cool with Jesus, they were looking for an opportunity to squash the Jesus movement. Specifically who? Well, the leaders, Peter and John. So that's one big piece about the Sadducees. Another big issue that the Sadducees, like, you know, that, that caused problem with the Sadducees was what actually happened that day with our friend, Gary, you know, the lame guy. There was a belief, like I said, that if you were, you know, cripple, that it was a punishment from God. And so it was just a superstition. God doesn't really punish people, you know, by making them paralyzed because their parents were sinful. But everyone believed that. And so, like, at my house, okay, if my kids get in trouble with my wife while I'm away, and if I come home at the end of the day, and my kids are in trouble, it, it would be very unwise for me to walk in and just undo the punishment that my wife gave to my kids. You know what? Uh, forget what your mom said. We're all going to eat ice cream and play video games all night. That'd be bad husband move, by the way. If you've ever done that, now you know why you were in trouble. Like, you don't do that. You especially don't come in and try to reverse God's judgment on somebody, which is exactly what the Sadducees are seeing that Peter and John have done. You've come in here. God has punished this man. But there's a problem because our friend Gary is healed. Okay, this isn't a hoax. This isn't a magic trick. So either they came in with the power of God, like you are from God, which they didn't want to believe that. Or maybe you're working for the other team. You know, maybe there's demonic powers or, or you know, evil forces behind the miracle. Either way, while the crowd was celebrating, 
and Gary was lumping, jumping and leaping and praising God, the temple leaders, they had questions. And so they, they, they lock up Peter and John for the night. Okay, keep on going. Verse five. It says, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas. Okay, so those two, Annas and Caiaphas. Remember those specifically. But also John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? The people that were meeting, that ruling council, they were like the Supreme Court of, of the Jews at this time, okay? So fun fact, not so fun fact. These guys, Annas and Caiaphas, they were actually the ones that presided over Jesus' trial, okay? And so they were biased in this whole situation. I would also imagine that this caused a lot of intimidation for John and Peter to think, man, oh, man, we are facing the same, you know, ruling council that had our leader executed, but there might have been something that gave them some peace. You see, one time while Jesus was teaching these guys, Peter and John and the rest, and you can read about it in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, he actually mentioned that stuff like this might happen one day. In fact, Luke and Acts were written by the same person. If you remember, the guy Luke wrote both books. I think he intentionally included that detail so that we would know. And I think that this teaching might have given Peter and John some peace. In Luke chapter 12, verse 11, Jesus told the disciples, he said, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you would defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So I want to believe that Peter and John, as they awaited this trial, were like, okay, Holy Spirit, it's about time for you to show up and do something here because we're in a bad spot. Okay, so keep on reading our passage. Now we're in verse eight. So then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, remember the guys just asked him, by what power and what authority did you do these things? It says, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He says, Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So Peter looks at the council and he says, listen, you remember that guy, Jesus? You remember that guy? He caused all that trouble and you condemned him to death? Well, if you want to know by whose authority we did this miracle, it was that guy, not us. And of course, this powerful council isn't going to say, oh, okay, Peter, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, you can go now. Thanks for sharing. No, no, they're still very frustrated. But to add insult to injury, Peter then goes through and he quotes like one of their favorite prophets, Isaiah. That's what he meant when he said, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. That's, that's like a quote that they totally, totally would have gotten that was a reference to the coming Messiah. Now, in the eyes of the council that is hearing this, what Peter has just said is total blasphemy, which in their legal code was a crime punishable by death. 
In fact, I think Peter may very well have known that what he just said could have resulted in him being dragged out into the street by an angry group of men and killed. I think he was prepared to take that risk. In fact, that's what had happened to his leader, Jesus. Jesus didn't, you know, recant his statements before this very council. Instead, he allowed them to drag him off and be killed. But he knew that what he was saying was true. Which brings us back full circle to our, our, our focus word for the day. You know, it takes guts. It takes courage. The word for that is boldness. Boldness. But look what happens. Verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And this next sentence is my favorite. It says, but since they could see the man who had been healed was standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So as quickly as the case begins, it comes to a close and, and we keep reading. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the name of that ruling council. And then they conferred together. So then they have this little powwow. They say, what are we going to do with these guys? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign. We can't deny that. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So they feel stuck. The Sanhedrin's like, what do we do? I mean, they don't approve of what's happened, but they... They see that this guy, Gary, he, he's healed. He's standing right there. Obviously, there's something more powerful at work here. Whether it's God, whether it's a demon, they don't know. But they don't know how to figure it out. And so they're just going to try to intimidate the disciples and shut them up, you know. At this point, Peter and John are about to get off the hook. I mean, scot-free. They're about to be able to go, right? Uh, but <laughs> Peter's not done. Peter's not done. And so I, I love... When they come back in, in verse 18, it says, they called them in again. They, can, they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus at all. They're like, no, no, Peter, no, John, don't you do that anymore. But Peter and John replied, well, you don't want us to speak in his name anymore? Okay, well, which is right in God's eyes, that we should listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. So after further threats, they let them go. And they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. <laughs> wow. I mean, Peter just looks right down the barrel of the gun that is aimed at his forehead and he just says, sorry, I'm not sorry. We got to obey God. That's the bottom line. So take that or leave it. And since the power of God is seen right there in this guy, the lame man that we've called Gary. They got nothing they can say about it. They just let him go. Okay, so true boldness. The word is boldness. And I think it'd be easy for us to say like, well, of course they were bold. I mean, they were Peter and John for goodness sake. They were Jesus' disciples, but I don't think it's that simple. Because let's imagine, let's go on a little trip, rewind a little bit. I wanna go to like last night before the trial. Remember these guys were arrested, they were put in jail. What do you think it was like for them? Imagine we had a security camera and some you know, microphone and we could hear them. What do you think Peter and John talked about that night 
in jail? Do you think they were nervous? What, what was their posture like? Or do you think they got any sleep? How do you think they were feeling? Because they knew what they were up against. This is the same group of people that not long ago had put their leader to death for basically the same you know, crime or whatever, being charged for the same thing. And so they're facing these same charges. Were they scared? Do you think that they talked about how they might die? Did they, I'm sure they prayed a lot. Do you think they wrote letters to their families? This isn't just Peter and John the great. This is Peter and John before they showed how bold they could be. This was their first test of boldness. I think it might have been tempting for them to kind of make excuses up. And be like, well, you know, it wasn't our idea. It was, uh, it was, uh, ah, it was Gary. It was Gary's idea. Gary put us up to this. That lame guy, he's so lame. You know, I don't know. But they did. They just walked in bravely. I found that opportunities for boldness almost always come with some level of opportunity for cop-out. And they're always laced with fear. Uh, but one thing that separates leaders from followers is boldness. Boldness. So I want to give us a little bit of a definition here today for boldness. I believe that boldness is behavior born out of belief that comes with a known risk. It's a behavior that's born out of a belief, but it comes with risk. What you believe about something will affect how you behave. It determines our actions. I think about, you know, one of my favorite figures from, from you know, modern history is Rosa Parks. You know, Rosa Parks, she, by refusing to give up her seat on a bus during the civil rights movement in, in the 50s, man, because she believed that discrimination against somebody because of the color of their skin was wrong. She was like, I'm going to do what I can do. Do you think she knew she was going to get in trouble for that? Yes. But it was worth the risk. It was boldness. Boldness is behavior born out of a belief, and it comes with a known risk. If it's not risky, it's not bold. She went to jail, but she did it gladly. And, and I name her, but there's so many others throughout history who have done amazing, powerful, wonderful things in the name of belief, despite the risk. That's boldness. And when it comes to being bold for God... I think that we can learn a lot from Peter and John in this first moment for them, from what the Jewish leaders said about them in Acts 4.13. We've already read this, but look at it again. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I think that verse says it all. And so I want to wrap up today with just three thoughts, okay? I want to encourage us to be bold. That's my goal. I want you to be bold. But here's three thoughts that might give you the courage that it takes to be bold, okay? The first one is this. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's simple. Peter and John uh, were uneducated fishermen from Galilee. And if you don't know Galilee, Galilee was the backwoods. They were considered like the hillbillies of that culture. They weren't the big city of Jerusalem. They lived up by the lake and, uh, and people kind of, they kind of picked on them for that, you know? But they were uneducated, ordinary men. But God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And these educated, scholarly politicians looked at them and said, dang, that's amazing. 
They were amazed. It says they were astonished. So listen, you do not have to have a degree from a Christian university. You don't even have to have all the books of the Bible memorized. You don't have to be a perfect parent or the perfect anything or an expert at anything. In fact, I think that God gets great pleasure of using you exactly how you are, where you are, in all your brokenness, in all your misunderstanding, in all your uneducatedness, because God specializes in using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I wanna encourage you, you can be bold. Second thing, okay, second thing. Your boldness will amaze people. You watch TED Talks and YouTube videos and all kinds of things and you read books, well, those people are amazing. Listen, you, you can amaze people too. And when we're bold for God, we will blow people's minds. This is what happens in our story here today. It, it, it's actually, I mean, if, if, you, if you looked at the, the, the whole Bible, you will see over and over and over again how when God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, which, by the way, I think could be the subtitle for the whole Bible, okay, that when he does that, people sit up and take notice, and they're amazed. And so I don't have a lot to say about that other than this. Your boldness will amaze people. It is inspiring. Um, not your articulate words, not your perfect plan, not your amazing behavior, your boldness, your boldness. Finally, for the third thing, let's look at what this council says at the end of this verse. And this might be our most powerful take home today. It said, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. Our third lesson is this. Boldness comes from spending time with Jesus. These guys had spent years following Jesus and learning from Jesus. And maybe you don't feel bold because you're just really not sure what you believe join the club. You know that these guys, when Jesus first met them, they knew nothing about him. They, they were constantly being reprimanded by Jesus for their lack of faith and for their foolish things that they said and for arguing all the time. But they spent time with Jesus and it grew them. And that is the story of what God does in people's lives. It's boldness. What, what would it look like if each one of us decided to learn from these guys and decided, I'm going to take time to be with Jesus and learn about who he is and what he's done for me. Like, I'm going to make it my favorite subject and I'm going to make his name famous. I'm going to talk about it. Does it make you nervous? It should. It comes with a known risk. Does it make you wiggle in your seat a little bit? Well, of course it does. People have lost their life over faith in Jesus. Is it a little risky? Oh, Jesus himself said that it was risky. Is it worth it? Yes. Here's my suggestion. We're in shutdown. Like, I mean, whatever this is, semi-shutdown, quarantine, like whatever this period of time is that we'll look back on one day and be able to define. You know, in a normal setting when I was, would be teaching this lesson, I'd probably encourage you to go out and talk about Jesus. And I am. I'm encouraging you to do that. Like, please. But I recognize right now you're spending a lot less time with people. You know what you could be doing? Spending time with Jesus. I meant reading your Bible and praying and talking about him and reading books about him and reading books about people who live for him and, and the few people that you do come in contact with, share what, what you're learning. You don't have to be an expert at it. But as you do this and rely on the helper, God's Holy Spirit, God can create a boldness in you that you wouldn't believe. What if you decided, I'm going to be bold with my faith? Peter said in verse 12 here, salvation is found in no one else for there is no name under heaven given to mankind 
by which we must be saved. And if that's true, then it's worth the risk. It's worth the uncomfortable. It's worth the time it takes to invest in it. And maybe you're in a place where you don't feel like you really believe that or even understand it. Guess what? That's a good place to be too. And I'm really glad that you're hanging out with us. One of the biggest things I love about our church family is that we're totally cool with everybody's journey. You don't have to know anything. Just be willing to admit that you don't. And we'll hang out together and we'll be happy in that place together. But we'll grow in it. We'll spend time with Jesus. And we'll learn what it means to be bold. One thing that you got to know though is this, that that is the message of Christianity. And that the offer of Jesus is a fresh start forgiveness of sins and a time of refreshing and boldness. Let me pray for us this morning.